Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Merry Xmas. In previous weeks, we've pointed out that the X is considered shorthand for Christ. Today, lead pastor David Fossil has us taking a close look at the name Everlasting Father. Join us as we consider what a father is and how our conception of father can have a dramatic impact on how we view Christ. Well, good morning, Bay Hills. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I I love everything about it. I love the eggnog, and I love the Christmas trees, and I love the lights and and all the decorations. I love the the special cookies you get at Christmas, especially those butter cookies and those Danish cookies you get only at Christmas and, and the cookies with the powdered sugar on it. I mean, I love everything about Christmas, right? I love giving gifts and receiving gifts. But of course, one of the, the reasons that I enjoy Christmas is the spiritual implications uh, revolving about what we celebrate during the Christmas season. Uh, during the month of December, we are in the middle of this series called Merry Xmas. Now, some Christians get really, really crazy when you take, you know, you take the word Christmas and just say Xmas because you're, you're taking Christ out of Christmas. We're kind of trying to be a little bit provocative and talk about the word Christ and what it means and specifically in the context of of the prophet Isaiah and, and, and names that he gives for Jesus. Now, what I want you to do is grab the study guide that's in your program. Um, and we're going to continue with that series this morning. As we get started, I'm going to share with you some family photos and some pictures of myself and my dad. I'll tell you why here in a second. Top left-hand corner, I'm six months old there. And as, as I'm told by my mother, my dad used to grab me by my hands and my feet all together. And he used to swing me up and down and then throw me in the air and catch me. And of course, everybody was panicked, wondering if he was going to damage the firstborn. Anytime I misbehaved as, as a teenager or did something wrong, I just, you know, drew their attention to the brain damage that they caused in those kind of situations. Now, for all, all my teenagers here this morning, high schoolers, very important, I want to help you. Picture in the top left-hand corner, I'm sitting on my dad's lap in front of what's called a typewriter. Typewriter. These are basically the computers we used back in the prehistoric ages, okay? And, uh, and then the bottom picture, I love that picture. Uh, that's my, my dad and I, uh, my father and I having a great time on the island of Mallorca, just off of Spain. Now, w- why do I start by uh, sharing some pictures about my father? I am vor- very, very fortunate to have had a um, positive, very healthy relationship with my parents. Um, you'll get to meet them here in the next couple of weeks. They're coming in from Europe. And in fact, he's going to be preaching one of the Sundays. Uh, I get my energy from my mom and I get my love for teaching God's word from my dad. He, he has been a, uh, a Bible teacher uh, at a, a Bible college and seminary his whole life. He's writing a book right now. And uh, well, many he, he's written. I just I get my love of teaching scripture from from him. Um, like I said, why, why am I starting with these pictures of my father? Well, because that's the term father that we're going to be looking at this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, let me show you. If you haven't been with us, this is what we're looking at. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child, or the Hebrew baby is born, to us a son is given. That's the phrase that gives us the hint, hint. This is kind of a Christmas theme type of a verse. That's why we read this verse very often in, in, in the month of December. For unto us a child or a baby is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And then he says, he will be called. Now, 
just to remind you, there are over 300 names that are given to Jesus in the scriptures. This is not because God can't make up his mind. It's because he's trying to give us what you and I might refer to as nicknames or ideas in terms of how God relates to us and how he benefits us and and the role that he has in our lives. So they give all these nicknames or names to Jesus to give us an understanding of who he is, how he operates in our lives. So he will be called, the prophet Isaiah gives us, Four names, wonderful counselor, mighty God. And then here it is, the phrase that we're going to be looking at or the name that we're going to look looking at today, everlasting father. Next week, we'll cover Prince of Peace and wrap up. Now, if you haven't been with us, just to give you a very quick uh, review in terms of what we've learned in terms of the wonderful counselor, we talked about the idea that as a counselor, he can be our therapist, help us through difficult times, our attorney in the courtroom of sin as we face the creator of the universe and all of us do, and our advisor, kind of like kings and presidents have advisors. He can be our wonderful counselor. Last week, we looked at mighty God. Very simply, the idea is there that Jesus is omnipotent. In other words, he's, he's strong. He's completely strong, but he's also deity. That's the God part of it. But the, the key to that phrase, as you look through scriptures, the understanding, not only that he's a strong, mighty God, but that Jesus' power is available to you and it's available to me. If you weren't with us the last two weeks and you want to catch up, we have that up on video on Vimeo as well as the podcast. Today, we're going to look at that, like I said, that third phrase, everlasting father. However, I just want you to know um, it would be intellectually dishonest of me to just kind of skip over what is referred to in this verse and that phrase, that name, as quite controversial and confusing. Now, uh, for the sake of being intellectually honest with you, I'm going to take you on this little tangent and explain to you the rub that many people have with this phrase, quote, everlasting father. Why is that a big deal? Let me explain to you why it's a big deal for many theologians and, and, and people who study God's word intently. The hint is given to us in the two words that are used in the very first phrase of this verse. For unto us a child or baby is born, to us a son is given. This is not a trick question. Who does that represent? Well, represents Jesus. So we're talking about it in December. And you know, the magi and the shepherds and that's the child. That's the baby. That's the son that's going to be born. We got that part. Here's the rub. Theologically, people ask, well, wait one minute. If that is talking about Jesus, the, quote, son of God, how can you now refer to him in the third phrase as a father? I thought the father and the son were separate. How can Jesus, the son, be like a father to us or I thought they were different? You know, do you see where I'm going with this? Now, let me just kind of break it down for you and give you the three primary answers to what's going on here. Larry, let's go to the next slide and let's hit it one more time. Okay. The three things that you, if you want to jot this down, this is important to understand the context biblically of what's going on here. How do I understand, um, and and, and this dilemma that's going in my mind that's muddying the water and kind of confusing me, the difference between the father and the son. I thought the son was different than the father. Three things. First of all, is what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm sure you've heard of that before in your study guide. I've actually printed out for you what you can find in any doctrinal or theological book. Okay, and now let me just read it for you and then we'll talk about what it means. 
The doctrine of the Trinity states that there is one God that exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Muslims are the group of individuals that most criticize Christians at this point. Muslims will say, ah, no, you don't have one God. You have three gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Um, The problem with that is that this book, the Bible, says, no, it's one God, three persons within the Godhead. Second part of the definition, they, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have different roles, but they have the same essence. Now, two things that you need to understand about, about what's going on here with the doctrine of the Trinity. One is that it is incredibly clear in this book that the Bible speaks of one and only one God. That's what this book says. Having said that, it is also incredibly complex and complicated. When you start to try and describe and understand the person of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, but them still being one, anybody both a seminary professor or pastor or member of a church that says that they fully understand and can explain the doctrine of the Trinity is lying to you. You can get to a certain point of basic understanding of what it means, what it says, and why it matters. But at some point in time, you have to come to the point, and we talked about this last week, will you be the kind of person that goes, I I don't completely understand, so I'm not going to believe, Or are you going to be the kind of individual that says, you know, I understand enough about this book and enough about God to trust him, even though my finite mind cannot fully process this whole idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to be the latter, to trust him even though you can't completely and fully understand him. Now, for the sake of our discussion right here, let me make it real simple. Difference between Son and Father. They are different and distinct, as the Bible teaches us. However, they're also the same in many ways. That's why, in this verse, the prophet can say that Jesus, he's not the son, he's not the father, but he still has fatherly or paternal instincts. See, even Jesus says in John chapter 10, the father, And I, what is he saying? We're separate. The Father and I, then he says, are one. In other words, we're different, but we're the same. John chapter 14, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So this is the whole doctrine of the Trinity. I would love, if you want to sit down to have coffee with me, I can get into it more philosophically and theologically. It's very interesting. But at some point in time, even your pastor or anyone else you talk to, the, your, your, the discussion stops because you cannot fully explain it. Okay? Let me give you just a couple of very quick explanations about what's going on here in Isaiah to understand why Jesus is referred to as a everlasting father. It's the idea of spiritual birth. The way I write it basically in your study guide is fathers and mothers are necessary and required to give physical birth. Duh, that's obvious. You and I wouldn't be here without a father and a mother. They are necessary and required for physical birth. Likewise, Jesus is necessary and required for you to have spiritual birth. So in that sense, he's an everlasting father to you. You cannot have physical birth without a father and mother likewise you cannot have spiritual birth without your everlasting father in this case that's jesus 
Does that make sense? You guys, am I, are you following? Okay. Last one real quick is the idea that Jesus is a father in the sense that he's the father of a new kingdom. Let me give, explain this to you by way of a picture. Let's put it up there. We refer to these guys on the screen as our founding what? Our founding fathers. Um, we, we talk about this. It's in the new movie Lincoln and the founding fathers and all these guys. And, and the, the guy at the bottom, Washington, if you read a history book, Many times he is referred to as the father of our new nation. Because of all, of, out of all the founding fathers, he was like the main one that kind of got it all started as our history books tell us. Well, just like Washington was the father of a new nation, likewise, Jesus is the father of a new kingdom. Because when Jesus is introduced to the scene, He introduces a new kingdom. He introduces a new way that God relates to people. He introduces a new covenant. So how is the son, the baby, the child, how is Jesus like an everlasting father? Well, it's the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea that he gives spiritual birth and is required, and he introduces a new kingdom. Now, this is just me setting the stage to now get into talking about why does this matter? How does it help you? How does it benefit you that Jesus is like an everlasting father to you? That he he has a relational uh, aspect to to wanting to spend life with you, right? Why, Why does that matter? Well, before I can get into the positives, honestly, I gotta talk to you about the problem when it comes to the term father as it relates to God. I was planning on sharing a study in this story even before the tragedy this past week in Connecticut and Newtown. Um, we all turned on the TVs and began to hear on the Internet about the, the absolute um, horror that we saw as these uh, kids and, um, and parents were gun- or, or teachers were gunned down. And um, I had this study that, like I said, I was planning on staying, uh, sharing, very similar to what happened. It's a study done by the FBI um, where they studied uh, students, high school students, who had taken uh, guns and gone back into their schools and shot their fellow students and teachers. So it's a, it's a little bit different than what happened in Connecticut, but very, very close. FBI wanted to try through this massive study to determine, can we find any way to minimize or to try and eliminate what is becoming commonplace in our culture for the last 15, uh, 10 to 15 years, this is happening quite a bit. Of course, the Littleton, Colorado was one of the big ones that started off. So they studied 17 students that had gone back into their high schools with guns and shot their fellow students. And they found one and only one common thread between those 17 students that went and shot their classmates. Only one. It's what the FBI researchers referred to as, quote, a father problem. A father problem. The head researcher concludes his study and says this. I see it so much and so often. It's just unbelievable. There's just something about when a man doesn't get along with or has an unhealthy relationship with his father. For so many, it makes them mean For so many, it makes them angry. And it can be, at times, incredibly dangerous. They have a father problem. You know, 
I, I didn't realize that every, everyone didn't have a dad like I had growing up. And then you start to meet people and you start to talk to people and you start to realize that many of us were carrying baggage because of a, of a, of a father problem. Right. And it may not be extreme as this study in the FBI, but, but let me just give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Let's put it up there. Um, some of us grew up in homes where father was never satisfied. The room was never clean enough. The grades were never good enough. You got two base hits, but why did you strike out on that third time at bat? Right. They're never satisfied with how you dress. They never satisfied with who you're dating. They don't satisfied with what major you got in college. They're just never satisfied. It's like impossible to please them. Some of us grew up with a father who was emotionally distant or cold. This is especially true when you talk to psychologists. It is especially ha- have an impact on girls. Dad never hugs them. Dad, n- you grew up n- him never kissing you. Dad never says, I love you. Dad never says, I'm proud of you. And if you grow up in that kind of home, it does something to you. If you're honest, it does something to you. Emotionally distant. Some of us grew up in a home where father was always angry. You remember that? You were walking around on eggshells because, you know, dad's had a hard week. He's been working long hours. Make sure you don't upset him. And everybody was just fearful of someone doing or saying something. And dad just blows up and takes it out on mom or the kids. Dad seemed like he was always angry. Some of us grew up in a home where father, unfortunately, was physically or sexually abusive. What breaks my heart is to see that statistically there's absolutely no difference between those in and outside of the church when it comes to this category. And uh, let me just say this at at this time. If if you grew up in a home where you experienced that um, and you are here now as an adult, could I encourage you, if you have not fully processed that yet, could I challenge you to, to begin and try and do that? It's important from you from here on out. You know, we have over the years had things at this church. We've had um, groups for women who have gone through sexual abuse. And it's not one of those groups that we have signups in the table in the back because people feel very uncomfortable even talking to Pastor Dave because he's a man. Call Brigitte at the office and we'll hook you up and get you connected. Or if you need to sit down with a professional, it doesn't have to be professional. It could be just a, a friendship. But process through that. It's important for you to be emotionally healthy in this area, right? Because it's it could be very painful, right? And some of you have processed it and you've moved on. Good. And if you haven't, deal with that. I think it's important. Some of us grew up in a home where dad was seldom there. For some of us, it was the simple thing like of a divorce. Mom and dad split up and you ended up with mom and it was it wasn't like it was dad's fault, but you didn't see him that often. He wasn't there. For some of us, it was more tragic. Dad died when you were young and you didn't grow up with him. For others of us, it's that dad was seen to be more committed to other things. He was seemed to be more committed to work than being at my recital or being at home. He seemed to be more committed to golf or NASCAR or NFL than going to my ball games. He just wasn't there. Some of us grew up in a home where father was spiritually indifferent. Either mom and dad didn't care about God or the church or mom was the spiritual leader and dad was like, whatever. Now, this is incredibly dangerous because what I'm doing here is I'm digging. And the question is, why are you doing this, David? Two suggestions. One, moms and dads. My challenge to you is to look at that screen and identify, do we lean in any direction, any one of these? 
And if you do, make some course corrections. Because you can't go back and change, but you can change today and make a difference for tomorrow. But the second thing, and the primary reason I bring this up, is this reason. When it comes to theologically and doctrinally talking about God as a father, and in this case, Isaiah 9, 6, talking about him as our everlasting father, here's what happens to so many of us. We take and bring to the table our images and ideas and feelings of fatherhood based upon what we experience, and we superimpose that upon God. And that's very, very dangerous. I've had people say to me, I I have trouble in prayer calling him father. Why? Because of that. And this is not about me dumping on mom and dad. And oh, that's not about we all had imperfect dads. No one had a perfect dad. But if you take your image of an earthly father, superimpose it upon your heavenly or your eternal father, you're going to run into some issues spiritually. So here's my challenge to you. What I want to do is I want to share with you five characteristics of your everlasting father and why it matters to you and why it matters to me. But what I want to challenge you to do is do not, under any circumstances, look at your everlasting father through the lens of your earthly father. Instead, look at your everlasting father through the lens of scripture. That's what you want to do. So what I want you to do is if you turn to the backs of your study guide, I'm going to share with you five characteristics of your everlasting father. It's Jesus, but it's just a nickname that they give him because of these five things that he can and wants to do in your life. Okay? So if you want to jot them down, great. I have the verses for you up on the screen. Number one is that our everlasting father is compassionate and caring. Psalm 104, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children... So too the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. I often think that we think of God when you and I mess up. His first response is like a strict principal who stomps his foot and gives you detention. That's not what he's like. That's not his first response. His first response is I care for you. I love you. I have compassion on you. Many of you know that I love watching movies and I love using them as illustrations of biblical truth. One of the best movies that I've watched in the last decade that speak of fatherly love and compassion, a high intense dramatic thriller. And of course, you all know it. I'm talking about put it up there. Nemo. (laughs) Nemo. Think about the movie. Nemo, the little fish, okay, the little clownfish, he grows up with just a dad. Mom died at an early age, protecting the family. Dad is his best friend. Dad protects him, right? Dad is always there to guard him and make sure nothing happens. But one day, Nemo, I don't know, he's getting to be a teenager or something. You know, he starts to rebel a little bit. He wants to be independent a little bit. What does he do? He goes beyond the barrier reef. He disobeys dad. And sure enough, he gets in trouble. And what happens? He gets scooped up by a diver. They put him in a jar. And Nemo ends up in a fish tank in a dentist's office. Some of you feel like you're in a fish tank in a dentist's office. But Marlon, the dad, he desperately loves his son. He desperately loves him. He doesn't care how big the ocean is, right? And then begins the journey of a father doing anything and everything he can to save his son. I don't want to minimize the seriousness of this book. 
But you know that that's, that's a lot like what your everlasting father does for you. He does. You get in trouble, you end up at a fish tank in a dentist's office, and he's like, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to help him out. I don't know about you, but I like that about my everlasting father. He cares about me. He cares about you. Another thing about our everlasting father is that he's, he's always close and he's, he's never too busy for us. He's always close and he's never too busy for us. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near. Now catch to all who call on him. Question, what if you don't call on him? Is he near to you? Yes, he is near to you, but you may not feel or experience him as if you call on him. It's just, God, I need you. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Hebrews 13, 5, God says and says to you this morning, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You probably don't recognize the name, but William Fry is a retired Episcopal pastor out of um, Colorado. He writes, and uh, one of the stories that he writes about is something that happened to him in his childhood. Let me just read it to you. He says, when I was a younger man, I volunteered to read for a student named John who was blind. One day I asked him, how, how did you lose your sight? A chemical explosion at the age of 13, John said. How did that make you feel? I asked. I felt helpless. I felt like life was over. Frankly, there were times that I, I hated God. For the first six months, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I would, I would eat all my meals alone in my room. And one day my father entered my room and he said, John, winter is coming and the storm windows need to go up. And that's your job. I want those hung by the end, uh, by the end of the day when I come back from work. Then he turned, walked out of the room and closed the door. I was angry. I thought, who, who does he think I am? I'm blind. In fact, I was so angry, I decided to do it. You ever do that to your parents? I'll show them, right? I felt my way to the garage. I found the windows as best as I could. I located the necessary tools. I found the ladder. All the while, muttering under my breath, I'll show them. I'll fall. Then they'll have a blind and a paralyzed son. Somehow, somehow I got the windows up. It was only quite a bit of time later that I found out that never that day at any moment was my father more than four or five feet away from my side. He had not gone to work, but instead had quietly watched always making sure everything was okay. And you may be at the top of that ladder wondering if I fall off, I'm going to get hurt. And what you need to know is that you have an everlasting father that is right there with you. And he's never too busy. Right there with you. I like that about my everlasting father. Another characteristic is that he provides emotional healing. He provides emotional healing. Psalm 31, verse 9, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm in misery. Look at this next phrase, how colorful it is. My eyes are weak from so much crying. I'm crying so much, my eyes hurt, right? And my whole being is tired from grief. Sometimes we get that way. Psalm 147, verse 3, God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. Question, I know I didn't put it in the study guide, uh, but how does he do that? How does God bandage your wounds? There's actually three or four primary ways that God does that. 
The first way that God bandages your wounds is through this book. This book is intended to give you answers. If you're, if you're at the pit, if you're, if you're in that fish tank in a dentist's office, if you feel like you're going through the shadow of valley of death, this is meant to go, it's to say, go that way. Do this. Get rid of that. It's meant to help course correct what is happening in your life. And it may take a while, but get you back on the right track. This is the first way he bandages wounds. The second way the Bible tells us is through prayer communicating to God. I mentioned it last week. I'm going to mention it again this week. If you feel like your life is falling, uh, falling down on you, could you please just after church, after service, go over to the prayer room and let someone pray with you for 30 seconds. Why? Because it matters. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, at least you do that on a regular and consistent basis. Talk to them. So talk to him. So you've got God's word. You've got prayer. Uh, counter to what you would initially think, one of the other ways that God heals you is through worship, specifically corporate worship. In the book of Psalms, you see a lot of times the verses I'm reading of the book of Psalms here this morning, they got either talking about I'm hurting, but the answer is corporate worship. It, isn't it true that sometimes you come to church and you're kind of down and, uh, and you come out with a little bit of a pick-me-up? That's what it's talking about. Worship makes a difference in our lives. So you've got God's word, you've got prayer, you, you've got worship, and then the fourth one, that he bandages our wounds and helps us through people. The people sitting right around you this morning. A great story coming out of Seattle a while back is um, revolved around the Special Olympics that were held there several years ago. Hundreds and hundreds of physically and mentally disabled children uh, met and uh, competed in athletic contests. Uh, what is most remembered from that Seattle Special Olympics was the 100-yard dash. They had 8 to 10 kids all lined up, and the gun went off, and boom, they took off like any other race. And uh, about a third way down, uh, the, the runners realized that, that one little boy, right after about taking three, four steps, had, had tripped over his tennis shoes and had fallen to the ground, had scraped up his knee and was crying. And every single one of the runners, they stopped running and they looked back. And then they walked back. And they picked him up. And then they, 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 they got their arms together. They linked arms and they walked forward and crossed the finish line together. As they did that, the entire stadium stood to their feet and applauded. Why? Why did they do that? Because instinctively we all know. We all know down deep that life isn't just about winning. It's not about me beating you and you beating someone else and you getting to the top of the organizational chart and you having more toys than your neighbor or your friends. We all instinctively know that's not what life is really all about. What this book says is that life is about helping others win. Even if at times it means you stop, you go back and you pick someone up. God heals us through his word, through prayer, through worship, and through people. I'm going to ask you a simple question before I go to the next point. Can you think of anybody that's fallen to the ground and needs someone to help pick them up? A classmate, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Do you realize God has placed you in their life to try and heal their wounds? 
want to encourage you to do that. We have a God, an everlasting Father that provides emotional healing. Number four, let's keep moving. He is consistently righteous and holy. He is consistently righteous and holy. First John chapter one, verse five, God is light. He's holy. In him, there is no darkness. There's no sin at all. In other words, he's completely holy. There's nothing bad in and within him. But but what's key about him is that it's not that he's good or holy. It's that he's consistently good. He's always good. James 1.17, we love the first part of the verse and never seem to read the second part. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Notice, who does not change like shifting shadows? In other words, you can take it to the bank. He's not going to come down on you and, and, and smack you upside the head next week just because he's having a bad day. We do that to each other, but God doesn't do that to you and he doesn't do that to me. Why? Because he is consistently righteous and he's consistently holy and good. True story about a frontier preacher years and years ago in our country. Um, One day, two of his boys um, brought home a, a dog that they had found. And they could clearly tell it wasn't just kind of a, uh, you know, one of these dogs that just roams around and astray because he seemed well-fed. He seemed fairly well-groomed. And they, you know, and dad said, yeah, I guess we can keep him. And they decided to keep him. It was a pure black dog with three distinctive white hairs right on its tail. They decided to keep it. The following week, they found in the local paper a lost and found ad. Someone was looking for their black dog, a black dog that had three distinctive white hairs on its tail. As soon as the dad read that, this preacher, he went to his sons. He said, he said, boys, hold, hold, hold the dog. And he very carefully with some tweezers pulled out the three white hairs. You know how those preachers can be. Apparently the man, um, heard that the preacher, the local preacher had a dog that sort of matched the description of his family pet. So he went to see him. And every indication is that that was his dog. The dog came running up to him and jumped up on him. It seemed like it was his dog. He was getting ready to take him, him home. And then the preacher said, uh, just, just real quick, your, the ad in the paper said that, that your dog had three distinctive white hairs on its tail. He goes, yeah, let's check. And so he checked and they weren't there. The preacher said, yeah, I guess it's not your dog. Years later, that very same preacher wrote about that incident. And he said, that very day, it seemed like I was able to keep the dog, but I lost my boys. Because they started to go in a direction, not based upon what the preacher was saying, but based upon what they'd seen their dad do. The name of those two boys, Frank and Jesse James. It's a very simple but powerful story. Parents, if we don't know it by now, is that our kids will always tend to do what we do, not what we say. They're watching. My kids are watching. Does it matter what dad says from up here? Sure, it matters. But you want to know what my kids are going to end up doing in life? Most likely what they just see at home or when I'm driving Same with you. It's the reality of parenthood. But you know what's good about the everlasting father? Is that he's completely good, he's completely holy, and he's consistent. He's the same today as he's going to be tomorrow. I like that about my everlasting father. 
The last one, and we'll put the summary slide up, is that he's sympathetic to my hurts. I don't have this verse up on the, sli- uh, on the screen for you. Let me just read it. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Last story, Gabriel Hurls. Uh, Gabriel Hurls was a little five-year-old boy, just about ready to turn six. His mom wanted to have a big birthday party for him. So he said, you know, she said, give me the list of people who, who you want to have at, at the party from school and, and neighbor friends. And so they got, you know, 15, 20 friends and they all came over for, for his birthday party. And they did what, you know, all boys, they do have a b- birthday party. They played games and then they had hot dogs and then they had cake. And then came the really fun part for Gabriel, right? That came the part where you get to open his, his gifts. Right. And they were all piled up in the in the corner of a living room. Every every kid that came brought something that they and you could kind of tell sometimes just by the way they're wrapped what they are. Right. But he was really excited about this huge gift in the corner. It, it was I mean, it was like a refrigerator box had a big bow on it. He he wanted to see what was in that box. Right. He, you know, he wondered, is it is it some sort of place structure? Is it some sort of bike? What What is it? Whatever it is, it's got to be big. So he started to unwrap And he started to tear at the cardboard. And what was inside was Army Specialist Casey Hurls, his father, who was on leave from war in Iraq. He hadn't seen his son in 10 months. And when he realized that he was going to be coming home on the very day they were going to have a a birthday party, he thought, how fun would it be to wrap myself up and have my son open it up? You want to know what the application is for you this morning to realize what an incredibly wonderful gift it is to have this kind of everlasting father. He really does care for you. He really does love you. He's the kind of everlasting father that is right there next to you, even though, you know, at times I can't feel him, but I, he's right there. He's standing underneath that ladder waiting just in case something happens. He's going he's gonna to pick me up off the ground or maybe even catch me. He's never too busy for me or for you. He provides and gives me emotional and spiritual healing. He's always righteous and he's always holy and he's sympathetic to my hurts. He doesn't say, buck up, be a man, get over it. He's sympathetic to my hurts. There's one little thing I've got to add. I, I hear it a lot, and it always concerns me. I don't always correct people when I hear it. But have you ever heard on the news or heard people say, well, we're all God's children? Ever heard that people use that? We're all God's children. You do know that's not true, right? That's not what the Bible says. We are all God's creation, yes. But we are not all God's children, You see, if you want the benefits of the last 20 minutes that we've talked about, there's one thing you got to do to be part of the family, so to speak. I'm going to end with this first. Let's put it up there. It's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. We are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you don't get to be part of the family. You are not one of his daughters or sons until you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Until in faith. What does that mean? It just means to trust him. 
I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you to forgive my sins because you did what you did on the cross. I'm going to trust what you say for me in terms of how I live. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. If you do that, you're in. It's only something you have to do once. And then becomes the, be, begins the journey of living for him. If you've not done that, I want to encourage you. Sign up. It's a decision away. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you um, for my dad, Jim Fossil. I want to thank you for those times he played soccer with me in the hallway, even though he was tired and just wanted to sit I want to thank you for those times that he he took us to the beach and we just hung out as a family. I want to thank you for as best as he could to to work and provide for our family. I want to thank you for um, how he treated my mom and how he gave me a good example of what what marriage is supposed to be like. I'm grateful, Father, that, that you gave me a good dad. But what I'm more grateful for is my everlasting father. Sometimes it's, it's overwhelming to think about why you care, but you do. And we love you for it, Father. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking, if you're here today and that last verse just really caught your attention you've you've never taken that step to trust him but you want to i want to encourage you to to pray this simple prayer in, in your heart dear god i believe in you i believe in your son jesus and as best as i can through faith i'm going to trust him i'm going to trust him to lead me i'm going to trust him for forgiveness of my sins i'm going to trust that what he did on the cross for me gains me access to a relationship with you i'm going to trust him as best as i know how from this day forward to live for you if you prayed that prayer for the first time i wonder with no one else looking could you just slip up your hand so i could see it pray for you one hand anyone else anyone else two hands three hands anyone else four hands Father, I want to thank you for the four in this service and, and the four in first service that are part of the family. They're now officially brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would encourage them as they walk in faith. Father, for those who, who maybe are still resisting and they haven't made that decision, maybe they have questions that need answered. Father, I pray that you would help them. Maybe they're, maybe they're dealing with some father issues that they have to figure out or theologically, whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would guide them. And whether it's through whoever they came with or through this church or whatever, that, that you would help them. Father, I'm so grateful that you are not only my wonderful counselor, but you are my mighty God. But you are also my everlasting Father. During this Christmas season, we will remember that and we will celebrate that. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, 
You can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.